Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Great Obsession Podcast, where we talk about things we're obsessed with and books. And sometimes those things are one and the same. Hopefully they're one and the same. Uh, I'm Riley, and I'm going to open my drink because I forgot to do it before. So please enjoy this sound. Ooh, that was a good one. There you go. <laughs> yes. And um, who are you? Um... I am Sam, and you got to tell me, what is it that you're drinking? Oh, it's a Trader Joe's sparkling watermelon juice beverage. Oh, getting into that spring vibe a little bit early. Mm -hmm. I am drinking my cotton candy uh, herbal tea, if you can see it. Does it taste actually like cotton candy? Yes, it does, kind of. It's like, have you ever had the cotton candy grapes? Yes. Okay, so it's kind of similar to that, I think, where you're not like, like it almost tastes more like uh, the scent of cotton candy than real cotton candy. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah, yeah. It just, I mean, it smells divine. It's very, so it's, Mango, dragon fruit, raspberry, and apple are like the ingredients, but it's like candied mango, so it's kind of it like has sugar happenings. Um, but it's delish. Ten of ten. I'm actually going through my baggie way faster than I thought I would, so I might have to order <laughs> some online, have it delivered. But it's phenom. Wow. I'm so intrigued. I want to try it. Maybe next yeah. time I'm in Spokane, I need to hop on over to that tea store. Yep. Heavenly uh, special teas. Hit it up. Cool. If any of you are local <laughs> to the Spokane, Washington area. <laughs> if anyone listening is in Spokane, like that will actually blow my mind. Yeah. Tell us immediately. Um, Give us every yeah. single detail of your life. and Literally, yeah. Tell us where you went you. to high school. <laughs> And yeah, that's true. Anyone in Spokane is going to be like our friends probably. But if you're not, email us and tell us where you went to high school and every single detail about your life. And we'll <laughs> we'll probably have some kind of connection because Spokane isn't that big. Anyway, All right. <laughs> tonight <laughs> we're talking about Crooked Kingdom by Lee Bardugo because last episode yes. we talked about Six of Crows. And we couldn't shut up about the fact that we had also read Crooked Kingdom. So (laughs) now we get to actually talk about it because it's one of the best things I've ever read. Agreed. In my humble opinion. Agreed. Um, This book is phenomenal and I can't wait to get in it. Just want to let everyone know, as always, this is a full spoiler episode. Um, This could potentially contain spoilers for all of the Six of Crows duology, as well as potentially the Shadow and Bone trilogy, if if we ever get into that. Um, But just be aware, it could contain any of those. And 
it, we could potentially have some explicit language. In fact, I think we probably will because I have, I'm really excited. And so there might be some strong language. So if you're not comfortable with that or if you have littles around who don't want to be hearing that, this just might not be the show for you. But what did you think of Crooked Kingdom, Riley? Uh, oh, I do we need to give it, it an, an initial rating? Yeah, we should give it our initial ratings. I mean, I think we kind of hinted at this on the last episode because we were like, well, you don't really know a nine until you read a ten. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I, I at least gave Six of Crows a nine. I I don't I don't see any reason not to give Crooked Kingdom a ten. I really don't. Agreed. So, Agreed. This, this was such a ten book. I have so many thoughts and all of them sparkling. And I'm indebted to Lee Bardugo for creating this and allowing me to have this experience of reading uh, this incredible book. Me too. Me too. One thing I wanted to ask you, because I didn't ask this on the last episode. Do you think, if anyone listening has not read Shadow and Bone, do you think that it's necessary to read Shadow and Bone before you read this series? No, I don't. I don't. I think I will say I am glad that we read the Shadow and Bone trilogy. I think it provides a lot of helpful context for the Grisha specifically, just mm-hmm. because obviously Shadow and Bone, that very first book, fleshes Grisha out so well and like how their magic works and the different types of Grisha versus. In Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, you're introduced to them, but you certainly don't get, like, the full scope of them. And so I think magic system-wise, it's helpful having Red Shadow and Bowden Trilogy. But I think that's not, like, a necessary. I think it's just, like, helpful. I will say reading the entirety of the Shadow and Bone trilogy, specifically Siege and Storm, was super helpful for understanding the politics and the geography of the world, um, which became much more... Like, they were kind of like side pieces in Shadow and Bone, but main pieces in Six of Crows. And so I think it was helpful having already been introduced to some of these places, particularly the countries, and right. how those nationalities, so to speak, are stereotypically behaving, um, I think was also helpful. Like, especially understanding how they treated Grisha in Shadow and Bone really helped me understand the context of events in Six of Crows. But I don't think it's essential. I don't think it's necessary. What do you think? Yeah, I would I would agree. I've I've heard conflicting opinions, but I would agree that, like, it definitely helps to read Shadow and Bone mostly from a, a world-building perspective because you're right, like, there, are, especially in Crooked Kingdom, I think we get a little bit more of the politics and you get a lot of Ravkin politics in Shadow and Bone and so it helps to have that. Like, I think I would have been a little more lost if I had not read Shadow and Bone in this book. But it's like, if you haven't read it, you don't really know what you're missing out on. So I feel like you'd be fine. Mm-hmm. It's just, it would help. Like Shadow and Bone is, has a lot of good context. With that being said, it's definitely not the superior series. So no, no, it's not. And it's interesting because I, I do actually think the Grisha are more interesting 
in like six of crows than they are in shadow and bone oh really yeah like especially i think maybe part of it is in shadow and bone it it's all in ravka or they're all ravkin i should say and and so you're existing within the cultural norms that ravka has established for grisha and i know Mm -hmm. initially when i was reading shadow and bone i was like well are Grisha only like being born in Ravka? Like I don't understand why don't other countries have them? And I think in Six of Crows, you get that fleshed out so much more as to why each country kind of has their own, like they all have Grisha. Like Grisha are existing in all of these places. It's just how they're appearing and like, existing in their individual countries is so different and I think Mm -hmm. especially with the context of like Jesper who we find out is a Grisha and just is like living with that kind of suppressed and is just like very afraid of it is such a different perspective than what we have on Ravka where everybody in Shadow and Bone everybody seemed to be like the same type like, they had the same mindset about their powers, you know? They were like, mm, we have yeah. powers, we go to the little palace, we train, and we learn how to fight, blah, blah, blah. And, like, the only thing that differentiates the Grisha from one another is whether they're pro-Darkling or pro-Alina. Versus mm-hmm. in Six of Crows, we get so much more nuance where we have, you know, uh, Grisha who feel really superior because of their powers. Grisha who are hiding their powers. Grisha who have shame about their powers. Grisha who don't even really know if they are or if they aren't because it's such an ambiguous thing for them. And I think you just get so much more nuance and you see people using their powers much more creatively than you do mm-hmm. in Shadow and Bone. Yeah. Um, I just I just find them to be more interesting characters i think because they're more nuanced and their power is also nuanced yeah that uh, that makes sense to me because i think in shadow and bone you get a lot like all you really get is that the grisha are soldiers like their second army they Mm -hmm. they're fighting for ravka so they all kind of have the same training but like in other countries specifically here in kirch they don't really get any kind of training unless they came from Ravka and so mm-hmm. they kind of are just all like living like you said really differently with their powers and some of them are using them pretty creatively some of them are not using them at all and I think that's really interesting specifically Jesper's backstory which I mean we can get into is is pretty interesting because his mom was a Grisha but she never really like talked about it mm-hmm. but she like taught him to use his power anyway it's all very interesting and like i think it's also i don't even like really calling them grisha because as they say like that's clearly the ravkin name for them and so because i think like jesper's mom was like zoa yeah i think is what and so it's that's the word she used I think that that's really interesting. And then obviously, like, the Fjordans just call them witches in Fjordan. I don't know yeah. what it's called. But I just think that it's – I think it's just really interesting that in Shadow and Bone, we have no other word for these type of people. And then in the Six of Crows duology, we get all of these different terms for these people. Yeah. 
from around the world. It's true. It really expands the world, the Six of Crows story does, I think. Mm-hmm. I think to talk about this book, the the best way to go about it is to do what we did last time where we kind of went character by character. So I, I mean, I'm inclined to start with Kaz, but since we were just talking about Jesper, what if we started out by talking about Jesper? Yes, let's do Jesper because I... Shake it up. Love him. Me too. Um, my king. My son. I I know. I know. And here's the thing is I <laughs> loved Jesper in Six of Crows. I was like, great time. I loved him even more in Crooked Kingdom. And I didn't think that was possible. Mm-hmm. And he has so many emotive moments. So let's just kind of like take a little walk. First of all, okay. Jesper and Wylan. Yes. 10 of 10. Love them. It's adorable. I am obsessed with their dynamic and the fact that they're like both like peak dum-dums but in different yeah. ways. <laughs> like Jesper is like, I'm a class clown dum-dum. And Wylan is like, I'm a little boy dum-dum. <laughs> it's so it's true. Just, it's just so wholesome and they i think also emotionally connect in like really intimate ways that we don't see jesper doing really with any of the other characters except maybe inej Mm -hmm. um and i really like how he brings out that side in jesper which is more serious more sentimental more mature in a way I think that when they go to see Wyland's mother when they think that she's dead and then they find out that she's actually been in prison this entire time I was like yo that was crazy I was was a little miffed that we never got any like like super in your face resolution on that I mean I know Obviously, Wylan ends up on top, and I'm sure – I think his mother – I don't I don't exactly remember. But I'm sure he, like, frees his mother or whatever. But mm-hmm. I wanted some kind of, like, shock and awe, public humiliation of Jan. Is that what we determined his name was? Yeah. 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 About that because that was – that was, like, the most brutal thing, I feel like, um, to read. I know. But that scene in particular, Jesper is so kind – and he's not a class clown. He reads the emotions and he reads the room so well that he, like, is able to give Wylan what he needs even when Wylan isn't exactly able to articulate what he needs or what he wants. Like, he's in a state mm-hmm. of shock. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, my baby Jesper's all grown up. <laughs> I know. He really showed in this book that, like, he has the maturity to to, like you said, read the room and, like, really be there for his friends. But he also knows, like, when to provide the comedic relief. And, like, when he does, it's just so good. He's so funny. Him and Wyland together are so funny. And it's, like, Wyland's always the butt of the joke, but he's just kind of (laughs) okay with it. And it's so cute. I'm obsessed with them. And I also think Jesper does have this unique relationship with all the rest of the crows where he is kind of like just 
this funny dude, but they also know that they can trust him. Mm-hmm. Besides Kaz, who has some serious trust issues, uh, which we can talk about later. But yeah, I've, I just had, I enjoyed seeing Jesper interact with every single person in this story, mm-hmm. but most specifically Wyland, because Wyland also goes on a journey in this story and Jesper was there for him the whole time. And it's very cute. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I just loved the pairing of them and I loved their story arcs. Because they kind of parallel one another in a way where obviously complicated parental circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. Wyland's father doesn't want him and pushes him away. Jesper's father does want him, but Jesper is the one who's pushing away. Mm-hmm. Jesper's mother is gone and Wyland's mother is gone until she's not. And I think Mm -hmm. that that together, they're just like really on this like parental roller coaster. It's Um, so true. Which I think is, is great. I will say, uh, let's talk about what, column? Is that how you say his name? Column? Yeah. That's how I said it. Oh my gosh. When he got introduced, I thought for sure he was going to die. I was like, there's no reason that they're introducing Jesper's dad other than to kill him and, like, cause trauma for Jesper. I really thought that. So when, like, the story ended the way it did, I was so relieved because he was such a homie and he was just trying his best doing what he thought he was supposed to do. And it was fun, I feel like, to see the contrast between him and Jesper, but also the rest of the crows, when I think it was Kaz who told him, like, you have an honest face, and that's not a good thing. And yeah. <laughs> but it's, like, so different than all of the crows who, like, none of them are honest because they, they can't be. They wouldn't survive. It's just really interesting, like, seeing that contrast and how he kind of interacted with the group uh, and ultimately went along with their schemes. Well, and I think he was a great... He was just like a such a fun character to have around because he was so different, you know, the honest face thing. But then mm-hmm. it also drew in more clearly that these are all literal like teenagers. Like they are yeah. kids. And I think almost like if Colm hadn't been in the book, I think it would be easy to be like, oh, they're They're just like adults. They're 20-something-year-old people living Mm -hmm. their life. But because he was introduced and he continued to play a role throughout the rest of the story. And not only did he play a role, but he was like actively interacting with all of the characters. I wondered initially, I was like, oh, we're just going to get him and Jesper. And he's not going to really interact with anyone else because – yeah, you know, it didn't necessarily it didn't seem necessary, but because he interacts with all of them, it's like, oh, my gosh, this man is a dad. And he's like, what the fuck are all of these kids just running around the streets of this town, just creating havoc? And I'm concerned about them and I'm concerned about my son. So I'm going to go along with their schemes and do what needs yeah. to be done because Otherwise, I'm concerned they're all going to die. And I just think that that's like the most purest fatherly love where he's like, you know, as a parent, I think the impulse would be, okay, well, I'm taking my kid and we're leaving the city and I'll see you never. 
Mm-hmm. And in, and like obviously there's like a few circumstances that prevent him from doing that, but he abandons the idea of going back home ASAP pretty darn quick and is like, all right. Yeah, he does. Somebody needs to step up here and it's going to be me and I'm going to do whatever needs to be done to get all of these kids out here alive versus just mm-hmm. my kid. And I really loved that. True homie. I love that too, especially because all of these kids are, like you said, like running free in the streets of Ketterdom, like parentless essentially and Mm -hmm. so he kind of like took on this protective father role for everyone even the kids that he didn't know as well and and it was just fun to see that because like no one is ever there to protect them and so it was nice that there was someone like there to have their backs uh during that end scheme it was very cute very wholesome He's so wholesome. I also loved seeing Jesper, like, kind of have to face his his mistakes. He, like, really had to own up to Mm -hmm. what he had done to his dad when he'd been lying through it this whole time. And so, and then you kind of see Wylan, like, supporting him as he did that in the same way that Jesper then supports Wylan coming to terms with the fact that his mom is still alive. So it Mm -hmm. was just really nice to see both of them kind of have to face these parental issues that they've had uh, and be Mm -hmm. there for each other yeah most definitely and I think kind of to your point Jesper just has he has huge growth in this book specifically because not only does he kind of he comes to terms with his mistakes and owns up to his dad but then he also uh owns up regarding his mistakes in the previous book where mm-hmm. it was revealed that he was like talking too much and exposed that they were trying to leave on whatever night in whatever harbor and that's ultimately when Inej gets stabbed and I think mm-hmm. in this book you see a lot of Kaz Jesper tension where they're mm-hmm. like Kaz is like still pretty pissed at him Jesper's trying to get forgiveness it's not really happening I think there's a layer in there where Kaz is like yo you fucked up and you got my girl hurt and now I'm pissed about it like I think if it had mm-hmm. been anyone but Inej Kaz would have been like all right we're moving past this but it was right. Inej so he was pissed but yep. I think Jesper like going to Inej and being like, hey, you know, I made a, this was a big mistake and I put you and all of you at risk because of it. And then she says that beautiful line about like, oh my gosh, I don't have it. I don't have it. About forgiveness and like what her people say. Oh yeah. The Suli people and Yes. What they say this action will have no echo. I think that's what it yes, is. Yes, that's that's wow. I'm so I've never been more thankful for your incredible memory. <laughs> but I think like she shares that quote with him and is like water under a bridge, we're all good, just learn from this mistake. And then he takes that and he says the same thing to his dad and is like this what is it? This will have no something about echo this action will have no echo this action will have no echo and so he that's like him taking that and being like i'm gonna do better dad and and i'm owning up to this and i just thought that that was just such a beautiful sort of arc from 
Inej to him, him to his dad. Um, mm-hmm. I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was really sweet seeing that. And, and also just like that kind of exploration of forgiveness as a theme in this book uh, was oh, really, yeah. was wow. really nice. Themes. Didn't think themes. about themes. Well, oh my God, are we an AP lit? Yeah. Are you an intellectual? <laughs> Am I better than everyone else? <laughs> truly (laughs) speaking of thinking he's better than everyone else actually not really anyway i do i really (laughs) want to talk about kaz and and jesper and i think Mm -hmm. kaz in a way thinks that he doesn't think this but he kind of feels separated and isolated from the rest of the group because he Mm -hmm. won't let his walls down and he feels like everyone else is not being serious enough or yeah, just like not maybe taking everything too seriously. And and I feel like there are different points throughout this book where everyone <laughs> at one time or another tr- has to tell Kaz like like lighten up. Like at one point mm-hmm. I think Inej says something like, "Oh, uh yeah, he says Kaz says uh seems everyone is forming alliances." And Inej says, "Those are called friendships, Kaz." So there he's like to coming to terms with this and one of those big moments in this book is i think kaz facing i mean really kind of facing the fact that jesper reminds him of his brother jordy mm-hmm. and so it causes this tension between them that's like not really entirely jesper's fault because jesper doesn't know anything about kaz's right. backstory uh but i think you know, Jordy was someone who Kaz kind of realizes uh, he he didn't take himself seriously enough in that he did not try to protect Kaz and he was trying to get rich quick and he was, you know, just not being smart and being mm-hmm. kind of greedy. And I think Kaz sees Jesper do those things and it makes him very upset. And mm-hmm. so they kind of have to face that. And I just thought that was really interesting how we we kind of like I didn't know if the whole Jordy backstory would still be relevant in this book but it Mm -hmm. very much was yeah very much and that was really interesting to me yeah I think while we're sort of adjacent to themes I I think Kaz's story in particular is just like such a I, I was gonna say beautiful but I don't know if beautiful is the right word um but such a nuanced picture of grief Mm-hmm. And like, not only do we, are we fully aware that he, you know, the loss of Jordy was like very traumatic. It's very painful. He can't even like think about him without feeling sick. He can't touch people anymore because of mm-hmm. how Jordy died and, and, you know, that trauma that he experienced. And so you, you know that you, he loved him deeply and, you know, has a lot of pain over his death. But at the same time, in this book, he's really wrestling with, yes, I loved him, but how do I reconcile my loving him with how angry and resentful I am towards him that Mm -hmm. he put us in that situation because Kaz was not old enough to, you know, make any choices about his own situation he wasn't capable or of consenting really to like the circumstances that he found himself in and 
Jordy was ultimately the one who was responsible for him. And he was the one who ultimately, you know, screwed them both over. And yes, Jordy died, but like Kaz says so many times about how he like crawled out of a pit and like Mm -hmm. he'll see you in hell he's already been there and all all of this like stuff that's partially bravado but partially not like he because of Jordy's actions like went through hell as a child very small Mm -hmm. child and I think that this book does a really wonderful job of showing how you know, when you suppress those emotions and you channel them into different places, how that can manifest in really toxic ways and how you begin mm-hmm. to project those feelings onto other relationships and it prevents you from making new relationships. And I think Kaz, what I really love about this book is I think Kaz starts to sort of go on a healing journey, but it's just it's just one book. And so we don't see him fully healed or fully redeemed or anything like that at the end. We just get, you know, these little glimpses that maybe on anyone else wouldn't seem like that big of a deal, but because it's Kaz, you're like, wow, that's a huge, like that's huge growth. And we love Mm -hmm. to see it. And I, I really appreciated that Lee Bardugo did not finish this book with Kaz I don't know, being quote unquote healed, you know, he's still broken. He's still wrestling with things and he still has all this trauma to unpack. But by the end, we actually really are starting to see him move towards a better and more healthier place. Um, And I, I just think that that's, I don't know. She just did such a good job of showing people with like real problems and, especially mental health problems and showing them in, mm-hmm. I think, a a pretty genuine light and showing them have growth, but not, you know, oh, all of a sudden we're all better because like I fell in love with somebody and that cured me, you know, that, right. that's like the world's worst narrative. And I think YA tends to maybe lean into that to do a that. little bit. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. okay, but what about the 600 pages worth of trauma that you just experienced? <laughs> It's fine. And I think that I I just really have to bring that up because in the Shadow and Bone trilogy, I had big beef with Lee Bardugo for taking a character who was dealing with mental health problems and like brutally killing him unnecessarily. Um, And I just, I just really feel like this, this book speaks to a lot of growth as a writer and I just really appreciated everything that she did here with these characters. Yeah, I agree. It was a big, big, big improvement from Shadow and Bone. It's really amazing. Like, they don't even feel like they're written by the same people. I know. It's crazy. Isn't that crazy? It's so uh, crazy. Yeah. I don't really know, like, how that happened. But something interesting that um, I think I heard this on the Flights of Fantasy podcast is uh, they're really good about, like, reading interviews with the author and so they have all these tidbits about oh the author said this about this scene um so shout out to them uh in their episode about this series they were talking about uh the scene the scene with Kaz and Inej in the bathroom um I was dying I was desperate I was on the floor screaming not really in my head I was yes same 
uh, I th- according to that podcast, Lee Bardugo said somewhere that um, that scene was hands down the hardest scene she's ever had to write. And she rewrote it like 20 times before it got perfect because she essentially was saying like she really wants Kazanenej to have this moment, but she also wants it to be realistic and not like a moment where they're like, all our problems are solved. We can touch. We're in love. <laughs> like, because like that would just be like not serving of the characters. Mm-hmm. So I think it was really, really well done. That scene. Uh, it felt really, everything that happened felt really true to character. And there was just like so much sexual tension without like hardly any physical contact at all. It was crazy. So I was just really obsessed with that and the fact that she wrote it 20 times and created the perfect scene. It's one, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous scene. And I think that even like there's just, it's just such an intimate scene. Like, I've Mm -hmm. read, you know, spicy scenes and all that jazz, and they're a good time. Don't get me wrong. But I Mm -hmm. think that this was probably, like, the most intimate scene I've ever read, where they just, like you said, you can feel the sexual tension, but you can feel, it's like this, like, really taunt rope is connecting them And Mm -hmm. they're not going to get closer, but they're not pulling apart either. And they're just like sitting in that space and it's really charged. It's just such a charged scene. And you're like, Mm -hmm. as a reader, I was like, what's going to happen? Because I truly did not know. know. Yeah. Truly didn't know. And I think it came across that the characters also didn't know. Like the characters themselves were like, I don't know what my limit is here. Like where's Mm -hmm. my limit versus my desire? Because they're Mm -hmm. not the same. And I think that that made it just, oh, just such a ride to read. And for some reason, and I don't think it says this, like I think it's just a regular bathroom. I don't think anybody's like in the bed. But like in my mind, it's like really steamy in there for some reason. Uh, like somebody's just taking like a really hot shower. So it's like steamy. And that somehow adds to it a lot in my mental imaginings. Um, well, it's like the it's fact gorgeous. that she's sitting on the counter with her legs apart and he's standing in between her knees. Like that's. It's the best really sexy position for them to be in and and just really wild that it happened for Inez and Cash like when he Inez and Cash did I just yeah yeah, I did wonder about that (laughs) lol um (laughs) yeah when he went and like stood there that close to her I was like oh shit oh shit oh shit and then it just kept (laughs) getting more and more and more and more and more like building 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 the tension it was crazy and i think there's even i could open the page if i really wanted to but i think there's even like a part where kaz says something about like desire uh kind of clouding his thoughts and distracting Mm -hmm. him from you know the trauma that's threatening to surface and -hmm. ultimately the the ptsd that he has wins out but um I guess I'm kind of diagnosing him here with PTSD, but like he clearly has these flashbacks that he has to mm-hmm. fight. And ultimately th- he does have limits, but I loved that like for the first time we really see him pushing those limits. Yes. And we see him, 
I guess he kind of pushes a limit in Six of Crow. We're just not totally aware. Like when Inej puts her hand on his face. Um, mm, mm-hmm. At the time, you're like, okay, that's sweet. They're like just weird kids, right? But then afterwards, right. you're like, oh, that was like a like a massive moment for him. But I think mm-hmm. continuing on throughout this book, you just get like just the littlest, tiniest breadcrumbs of him – actively trying to like push through his own mental barriers and um i just think that's really wonderful yeah i love to especially see it. it's so rewarding after you know we read the first book and and they have that moment where it says i'll have you without armor kaz brecker i will not have you at all <gasps> and, like we see his armor kind of start to come down in this and it's only when Inej is around, which is so, so cute. I know. God, she's so powerful. I know. I'm obsessed with her. Should we talk about her? Oh, my God. Let's do it. I'm so ready. So, oh this is gosh. queen shit. This is... Literally. So, Inej, favorite character, Six of Crows. Favorite character, Crooked Kingdom. I love that in six of crows we see her find her quote-unquote like arrow and she decides Mm -hmm. she like has this sort of vision of becoming a um i guess like slave hunter pirate for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. and she like really wants to find the people who um are subjecting children and people to slavery like she experienced and she like wants to hunt them down and free the slaves which is incredible i'm obsessed Mm -hmm. that she took all of her like skills and things that she had a lot of shame about from ketterdom and like the person that she had become and she's like is the old inej even in here i don't know and Mm -hmm. she like takes all of that and is like you know what? I'm owning it. This is who I am now. And I'm going to turn this around for the greatest purpose possible, um, which is hunting slavers. And I love that for her. Mm-hmm. She's just yeah. a queen the whole way. I, I found really compelling in this story the introduction of Dunyasha, which when she yes. first came in, you know, she comes in like so surprising out of nowhere. Like when Inej got, gets attacked on top of the silos, I was like, what? Like, why are we introducing yeah. like a totally new character here? This is kind of wild. But then it was really interesting how like she she believes in this concept of the shadow, which is essentially like someone who's the opposite of you and you mm-hmm. kind of have to fight them, face them, whatever. Well, it's and all of your it's like all of your sins catch up to you and uh-huh. like your sins are your shadow. And if you have too many sins, your shadow becomes stronger than you and it will hunt you down and kill you. Yeah. Which was a super interesting concept to me. And like, and we kind of see that every character more or less has their shadow, but especially Inej has this big moment, you know, where she mm-hmm. kind of has to come face to face with this shadow of hers. And it's just so, like her she's so empowered and i know just yeah it's really it's fun to read from her pov because she 
it's not that she doesn't feel fear, but she just like so clearly knows how to face fear. She's so and focused. She yeah, she's really focused and she's really confident like when she's like I don't work with a net. You know, on the high wire, I'd be so terrified. I was like sweating reading the scenes where she's walking the high wire, but she she's really fun to read because she that's like something she wants and she craves that like freedom of of doing mm-hmm. dangerous things and being good at it and I'm obsessed with that for her. I same. I also kind of you made me think of this when you were talking about uh Dunyasha as her shadow. I think it's super interesting because in well in all of their scenes Dunyasha if I'm I hope I'm saying that right but her so. her whole thing is she dresses in all white mm-hmm. and Inej dresses in all black which I I'm obsessed with that contrast so especially when you think of it's almost like Inej is like oh Dunyasha is my shadow but then visually it's more like Inej is Dunyasha's shadow and she ultimately mm-hmm. kills her which I'm obsessed with because we know that Dunyasha is like really gets a kick out of killing people like she enjoys the death mm-hmm. and she enjoys the hunt and we know that Inej does not really feel that way she has much more complicated and nuanced feelings about death and about violence and so mm-hmm. It's interesting because it felt more like Inej was Dunyasha's sins coming back to kill her. Yeah. Which I'm just like fascinated by if that, if we're just like reading way too much into it or if (laughs) Lee Bardugo was like, I got this symbolism, girl. I'm going to go with, I hope that it's the symbolism. I think so. Because I, I also found that really fascinating that the quote-unquote shadow was was the person in white mm-hmm. and Inej was the person in black. Because just, I don't know, in typical like tropey YA novels, chosen one type of stories, it's always mm-hmm. like the valiant chosen one versus like their their weird throwaway shadow. And this is like <laughs> totally flipped it around. Yes. It was gorgeous. So, and Should we read the quote that say, is like the crown jewel of this book? Absolutely. Do you want absolutely. to read it? I, I would actually love to read it. Okay. Okay. So this is literally the best quote in this entire series. This is the best uh, thing Lee Bardugo has ever written. I haven't read every single thing that Lee Bardugo has written, <laughs> but I feel confident that this is the best thing ever created. Okay. Inej almost felt sorry for her. Dunyasha really believed she was the Lansov heir, and maybe she was. But wasn't that what every girl dreamed? That she'd wake up and find herself a princess? Or blessed with magical powers and a grand destiny? Maybe there were people who lived those lives. Maybe this girl was one of them. But what about the rest of us? What about the nobodies and the nothings? The invisible girls? We learn to hold our heads as if we wear crowns. We learned to write or to wring magic from the ordinary. That was how you survived when you weren't chosen. When there was no royal blood in your veins, when the world owed you nothing, you demanded something of it anyway. 
so good. It's stunning. So good. So good, especially coming off of Shadow and Bone, which is like one of those really traditional chosen one stories. Mm -hmm. The fact that Lee was able to just flip around and then write this essentially like anti-chosen one story about like the invisible girls, the no ones, the nothings just was incredible. I loved it. It was so refreshing to read this. I've never read something like this. I agree. I agree. It literally, I, I'm not like always a huge quote person. Um, It just is not necessarily something that I, I don't like remember quotes. It's not, it's just like not my, the way my brain works. But I was reading this book and I got to this quote and I stopped. I opened my phone and I like entered into my notes app the page and like book title and everything. And I was like, I, this is something I 110% have to go back and reread like once a year. I need this quote to be like read to me because it's, Mm -hmm. it's beautiful. And there's so much more to people than this like magical idea of what like a hero is and like every girl dreaming of being a princess it's like well Mm -hmm. so what that right like and I think especially when we know Inej's backstory and that she was sold into prostitution and that she still has a lot of trauma from that and her agency her freedom was taken away in every possible way and she kind of she like finds her own agency and her own freedom and she makes her own way like yes Kaz helps her but like at the end of the day she's the one who reached out to Kaz to be like hey I'm gonna shoot my shot I can help you get me out you know Mm -hmm. she was the one who instigated that and she's the one who has this dream of leaving Ketterdam and making a better place, even though everybody else kind of has a dream of just like remaining there, but making their like circumstances better within Ketterdam. And she's like, no, I'm going to continue to push these boundaries. I'm going to continue to push myself to be somebody when everybody keeps telling me I'm nobody. And it just is so beautiful. And it's interesting to me because she is the wraith and like her whole character is she's silent and invisible. Like, yeah. she, like her whole point is like her usefulness to the team is that she can be make herself a nobody, make herself literally yeah. nothing. And she just like has this like beautiful quote about when the world owed you nothing, you demanded something of it anyways. And I think it just really flips everything that people say about Inej on its head without ever – like it like flips what people say about her on its head while still allowing the character Inej to shine through and not have to change to flip that narrative, you know? Yeah. It's true because her nature – in this story like she has she kind of has this journey but but she doesn't actually change that much she keeps that confidence that she has she keeps that devotion to you know her faith she keeps just like this sense of purpose like the moment she gains it in the um incinerator she never lets go of that and it really drives her 
And so it's cool to see how she just, she essentially just kind of comes to terms with the fact that the world owes her nothing and she's going to demand something of it anyway. And that's like what her whole journey is. And I'm, I, I just really love that. It's really unique. Yeah. It's yeah, it's very unique and it's, it's very powerful. Um, yeah. But I also then, love, Oh, <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> I, like I love to say the same thing. Maybe. Cause literally immediately after this beautiful quote is this part where Dinyash is like, the blood you spill is the blood of Kings. Seethed Dinyasha. Inej raised her brow and slowly wiped the blood of Kings on her trousers. <laughs> She's such a boss. <laughs> She's so funny too. She's Being hilarious. In her POV is so funny. She's in just like, like literally quiet comedian in the back row, just killing it. One liners. Yeah. We love to see it. I know. She's got it all. We love to see it. And I. She really does have it all. I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> I don't either. I'm, no complaints on an edge. Yeah. No, nothing negative to say at all. No. Nope. Filling the room with positive energy. Um, I will say, cause I do, I want to make sure that we talk about the ending. So do we talk about the yes. ending while we're talking about Inesh or do we talk about the ending when we get to the end of the podcast? Uh, let's talk about it at the very end. Okay, perfect. We got to talk about, uh, Nina and Matthias. Yeah, we do. Uh-huh. IP. I am sad. Pour one out. Honestly. And it's it's interesting because their their romance is the most clearly and like deeply fleshed out. Like mm-hmm. you know, they they have a lot of history. We see them, you know, making a lot of romantic headway in the first book and then just further building upon that in the second book. And then he is the one, you know, somebody had to die. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's him, which I think is kind of interesting because their relationship was the most developed, but it was the one I had the least like emotional investment in. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. Because, yeah, I don't know. Something about. Maybe just the fact that Nina as a character, like, I love when she's there, but mm-hmm. she's she's not the most interesting character. Like, she's not, at least in this story, She I don't feel like she has much of an arc except for this part where she loses, you know, her Grisha power as her identity mm-hmm. and she kind of battles this addiction. But, I mean, I know that she's one of the POV characters in King of Scars. So her Mm -hmm. story is not over. And I think that's why she doesn't have like kind of this nicely fleshed out arc, but maybe that just, that just makes her and Matthias's story maybe fade into the background a little bit when you're comparing it to these other characters. I don't know. Well, and I also think, and I talked about this a little bit on our six of crows episode, but once again, Nina and Matthias, I feel like are, they're just, they feel the least, like, ketterdom. Like, the yeah. others feel like they're a part of the city versus these two feel like they're visiting. And I think 
in some ways they feel like they're almost like visiting in the group dynamic as well. Like I just yeah. I feel like they're less there, like less invested somehow. It's um, true because I feel like all their best moments are between them two. Like all the agreed. chemistry is between the two of them. And I mean they do have chemistry with the rest of the group, but just not it's just yeah, it's not yeah. as it, it just feels strong. different. It's like less sparkly than everything else. Like Yeah. You know? And yeah. I do I get it. It's also kind of interesting to me because at the end of the day, Nina and Matthias are also kind of the most I'm gonna say like conventionally good and Mm. they're like the most conventionally heroic and so Mm -hmm. I think in a way that makes them less interesting to me because the others feel unpredictable like yeah I feel like I understand their motivations but even still that doesn't always mean I can predict their actions versus Nina and Matthias I feel like they didn't really, they never really surprised me. No, yeah, I agree. And I especially I think in the last episode we mentioned how Matthias's arc kind of reminds us of a certain character in Throne of Glass. Mm-hmm. And and this like kind of hate to like learning that your hate is taught and learning to overcome it is like something that I've seen before. And maybe that's just because I've read Throne of Glass. Maybe that's because I have left a religion and abandoned a belief system that I grew up with. So it's just, it's nothing super new to mm-hmm. me. And so it seems like Matthias's story should be really compelling to me because of that. But it's not, it's just not. And maybe that's because it's predictable. Well, and and here's an interesting thing that I feel like never got addressed and would have made them more more interesting because to your point, like he it's really interesting on the surface that he is like finding that his entire belief system and this world that he's been raised is like fundamentally flawed. Mm-hmm. And except it it becomes this point where it's like a 180 where it's like so flawed that there's no redemption in it and how could he ever like empathize with it again is almost how it comes across which is not very interesting like yeah like it just is like that kind of falls flat and what I think could have been interesting is I believe in six of crows it's like revealed that Matthias was raised by the Druskel because his parents were killed by, by Grisha. Inferni Grisha. Yeah. And I think that that's a really interesting dynamic that makes that like fuels why he would become a Druskel and why would he why he would feel so passionately against Grisha. But it's uh-huh. like after Six of Crows that just doesn't exist. It's never mentioned again. That's so true. And I, I think forgot about that. That's like an odd thing when I think particularly this book has such an emphasis on like all these characters are working through trauma and grief and like whether it be loss of loved one or loss of childhood or loss of innocence, you know, they're all working through this loss 
And Matthias is like, oh, working through this loss of, you know, the society that he grew up in. But it's it's made so, like, bleak and bad that you don't mm-hmm. feel that bad for him. But if right. it had been he's working through reconciling his love for this woman who possesses the same power that killed his parents, I think that's a much more interesting dynamic. And I yeah. just don't know why we didn't fully get that. That That's true. I also think I had pulled this one quote from Matthias that, that I feel like tries to get there a little bit not necessarily mm-hmm. with the the his parents being killed by Grisha part but more of like the recognizing that there's maybe nuance in in like how maybe his upbringing maybe had some good in it essentially so right I'm gonna read this quote because I have some thoughts so he thought again of what Nina had said to him on the ship when she'd been in the worst grips of the parem can you even think for yourself I'm just another cause for you to follow. First, it was Jarl Broom. Now it's me. I don't want your cursed oath. He didn't think she had meant it, but the words haunted him. As a Druskel, he'd served a corrupt cause. He could see that now, but he'd had a path, a nation. He'd known who he was and what the world would ask of him. Now he was sure of nothing but his faith in Jell and the vow that he'd made to Nina. So I, when I, at the moment I read this, I underlined it because I was like, okay, relatable to me in that I, I, uh, I guess I'm going to get a little personal, but like I have distanced myself from the belief system of Mormonism that I grew up in. And that was like my whole identity and my whole community. And like, I knew my place in the world and my purpose in life. And so when I read this, he'd known who he was and what the world would ask of him. I was like, wow, Matthias, relatable content. But then that's like all we get. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the journey of like unlearning a whole belief system is so much more than that. It's very nuanced because you recognize at some points that like this belief system or this lifestyle that you were brought up with had good in it like there's a reason Mm -hmm. you believed it there's a reason you stayed in it and that it had meaning to you and it's like he this is all we really get is him being like oh yeah he had he had you know had he'd known who he was but he just never really seems to I guess yearn for that previous Mm -hmm. time when he thought he knew who he was and so it just it's it's almost like it oversimplified his arc maybe and that's why it just fell a little flat for me. Yeah. No, I would agree 100% because even while you were kind of talking about that, I was trying to think back and like nowhere in uh, – I almost called him Elias. In Matthias <laughs> <laughs> do we get like a sense of real isolation. Like he never yeah. seems to feel isolated he never seems to feel like purposeless. It's like he channels all of that into his relationship with Nina. Yeah. Um, which I guess is like maybe a little toxic. IDK. Um uh, Well, he does move from having this oath to Jell, his god or whatever, to now having this oath to Nina. So it's like he went I don't know. He didn't uh, essentially unlearn how to like not live for one very, very specific purpose and one thing only. 
which is so tragic because he dies. He like dies. He, he dies never learning that. And I think so here here I what I want to know is what are your thoughts on how he dies? Like the circumstances of his death because he's attempting to like talk to a Druskel, like a young Druskel and convince him or convinces maybe not the right word, but he's trying to be like, hey, they're like not all Grisha are bad and like mm-hmm. this cause is too black and white. And he's like trying to kind of break through to him. And I thought it was a really I just thought it was like a really strange death. I I really enjoyed that it wasn't related to the scheme like it wasn't Mm -hmm. part of like I mean they were they were kind of running a heist but it was completely unrelated to that and I did Mm -hmm. appreciate that because that was like a fun level of unpredictability that I didn't see coming Mm -hmm. but as far as it like I just didn't understand why I don't know it just seemed very lackluster to me and very no I agree unsatisfactory and I think maybe it truly like his death was truly only there to set Nina up for King of Scars. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that because I I felt like the way in which he died it felt a little flat for me. Like it it should have been I guess more like poetic or more full circle or more like of a completion of his arc or whatever. But it just didn't. It was kind of frustrating because he like he sees this person and he immediately projects and I mean, we all mm-hmm. project. I'm here projecting onto him, like my own experience <laughs> on learning a belief system here. But so he sees this person and he like totally projects onto him like, this is me at a younger age. And he just needs to hear this. And he's like walking towards this kid who has a gun pointed at him. And I'm like, Matthias, just, just why? run. Like, why? Like, you know how to get out of situations like this. You got jesper and kuwait off of uh the the cemetery island that i forgot the name of mm-hmm. black veil he got them off of black veil and those circumstances were way harder than just like one 12 year old kid pointing a gun at you so like he could have gotten out of that situation yeah and it was frustrating that like he got so like noble and so i guess like in his head and and projecting on this kid that he he essentially walked into his own death and that was frustrating however I did like that, like you said, it was not related to, like, the scheme and the heist of it all. And it was something so quick. Because, like, mm-hmm. in reality, that is how death is. And and I liked, there was a quote at one point where one of the characters was like, man, everyone had felt kind of invincible because we just kept yeah. getting out of all these situations. And so it was, like, really a wake-up call that, like, Matthias just died in, like, kind of in this unceremonious way. He just, one second he was there and one second he wasn't. So while I can appreciate that aspect of it, as a whole, I kind of felt like the death fell flat to me. Yeah. I think, I think it was just a plot device. Yeah, I agree. I bet you it's like a whole part of Nina's arc in King of Scars. Well, because I know that he, like Nina promises, what, that she's going to go to Fierda. And uh-huh. yeah, and and she's gonna like convince take other his body like to, home. like yeah, take his body home, but also I think to like go 
and find more Druskel and be like, yeah. Oh, so she yeah. said, he says, um, I need you to save the others. What others? She asked desperately. The other Druskel. Swear to me you'll at least try to help them to make them see. Um, and then okay. a little while later, he says, be a warrior as you've always been. Just save some mercy for my people. There has to be a Fierda worth saving. Promise me. Which I think, so I think that just like sets Nina up for her arc in King of Scars, which I believe she's in Fierda for that. I haven't read it, but I believe that that yeah. is the case. But it is interesting to me that we get like he's first of all, final words to Nina. I was like, bro, just let her live. I was like, let her have her peace. I don't know. I'm not about these like deathbed assignments. Um, I know. It's just not for me. But I I also think it's kind of interesting because he he like saves. He like says, just save some mercy for my people. There has to be a Fierda worth saving. And I just mm-hmm. wish we had dug into that more. Like, I wish that had been part of his arc of contemplating how the Druskel and, like, the hunting of Grisha is bad and flawed. But, like, there is good in Fierda. And there is, like, positives to be found in that country. Because even when they're in Fierda, like, it's not, a, like, a terribly flattering picture of the place. Like, it does not seem pleasant. And so right. I just... I just needed him to be, like, rooting for Fierda more openly. And, like, we just didn't get it. It's okay. Everything else was flawless. I will say I maybe have to, after this discussion, I maybe have to adjust my stars to, like, a 9.9. I was thinking that, too. (laughs) Because I was like, okay, maybe it's not a perfect book. But then again, is anything ever going to be perfect? Probably not. But... Probably not. This is why we have these I conversations. I will say, I did um, think that the like the final scene with Matthias and Nina was really touching. When agreed, when um, he says, "Oh my God, I can't find it," but he says something like, "Oh yeah, okay, bury me so I can go to jail. Bury me so I can take root and follow the water north. I promise, Matthias, I'll take you home." Nina, he said, pressing her hand to his heart, "I am already home." that was really sweet especially just knowing you know their arc and how much he like hated her and wanted to kill her in the beginning of six of crows so that part was sweet yeah but yeah overall nina and matthias i mean we've been talking about it for so long so clearly we had thoughts but i guess they do kind of fade into the Mm -hmm. background for me amongst all the rest of the characters agreed But on a lighter note, should we finish up this podcast by discussing the ending of this book? I think we should discuss the ending and then I want to read some funny quotes just for shits and giggles. And then wonderful. We can go. Yeah. 10 of 10. (laughs) So the end of this book was so good. One of the best endings I've ever read because first of all we get a lot of like payoff you know there's a Uh lot of stuff where it's like (gasps) we're like seeing come full circle we're seeing some fruition we're seeing their relationship you know take 
like it not necessarily take another step, but just like gets more deep. Um, but then it's also just like ever so slightly open-ended ever so slightly like leaves me on my toes being like, but like, then what were they up to? You know? And I think I loved that. Like it wasn't so tied up that I was like, wow, I don't need to daydream about what I think happened next. Mm Because, you know, some books close it up so tightly that you're like, well, okay. You know, no thoughts. But this one left it just open enough that I was like, wow, I can really kind of project my thoughts wherever I want on this ending. Like, do I want Kaz and Inej to be together and have like 12 children? Mm -hmm. Or do I want them (laughs) to kind of just like gradually grow apart with like this mutual understanding that they are forever devoted to each other, but that they may never see each other again, you know? Yeah. I liked that I had both options. I did too. I just love that they got this moment together at the yes. end because I think one of the big themes of this story is I just lost my train of thought. I said the <laughs> word themes and and all words escaped my brain. I was trying too hard to be scholarly. <laughs> oh, that was oh, oh, oh. all the time. <laughs> I know what I was going to say. It's Inej is trying to see the decency in Kaz, or trying to wring decency from him. And I think I had even pulled a quote from Six of Crows that I didn't read on the last episode, but let me pull it out here. Um, Yeah, okay. This is in the beginning of Six of Crows. It says, Inej was always trying to wring little little bits of decency from him. When everyone knows you're a monster, you needn't waste time doing every monstrous thing. So Kaz is kind of like, I don't know why she she wants me to be decent because like the fact that I'm a monster is to my advantage because I don't have to do every monstrous thing. People will just assume the worst in me. And mm-hmm. Inej is the only person that doesn't assume the worst in him. And then at the end, after all this time where he just keeps being the worst on purpose, he does like one of the most decent things ever. Actually, like, three of the most decent things ever. Oh, yeah. Because he buys off her... He pays off her indenture. Mm-hmm. And he brings her parents and he <laughs> buys her shit. Oh, I know. Okay. I just have to... So this moment where he... And he's just, like... He's such an emotionally constipated, like, person about it, too. <laughs> I'm just yeah. obsessed with it because he has her... First of all, he, like, doesn't even verbally... He's just, he's so funny to me. But he, like, leaves her this note and is like, meet me at the harbor. And she's like, okay, whatever. I think she's, like, a little, like, bitter about it, too. Because she's like, oh, Kaz, what's he going to, like, what does he want now? Um, Mm -hmm. And so she goes to the harbor. And then he's like, here's a little telescope or whatever they call it. And he's like, look at birth 22 or whatever. And she's mm-hmm. like, what about it? And he he just like like he she just like sees that it's like painted the wraith. And then mm-hmm. she's like, that's not and he just interrupts her and he's like, She's yours, you know, I hired this crew, blah blah blah. And she's like, Kaz. <laughs> and he's like, Well, I got a good price and like it was on sale and like all this stuff. He, like, and she's starts like talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just like talks over her and like rambling. Is not interested in in like hearing all that she has to say (laughs) and i'm obsessed with that and then she's like i don't know what to say it says 
his bare hand <gasps> flexed on the crow's head of his crane. The sight was so strange, and Inej had trouble tearing her eyes away from it. Say you'll return. I'm not done with Ketterdam. She hadn't known she hadn't known she meant it until she said the words. And I'm just obsessed with that because there's no they like just leave this place with a promise that she'll come back one day, but like they don't have any promises between each other. They don't have any like grand you know, words of devotion or anything like that. It's just like this unspoken mm-hmm. thing between them that just seems so right, not only for both their characters, but also both their characters' sort of like state of mind and growth levels. Like for them mm-hmm. to like actually end up in a relationship would be like pretty bad shit and would yeah, not. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense. No, it wouldn't make sense and it wouldn't be healthy and it would be the type of relationship that crashes and burns in like a catastrophic way very Mm -hmm. shortly later and so I think the way this ends is just like them laying this really wonderful foundation Mm -hmm. um for themselves and then they like hold hands oh it's this whole thing and I'm dead and then of course we have he does the same thing again where he just like talks over her and she's like, <laughs> what? What? And then he's like, then she like starts crying and he's like, oh, was this a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> and I love Such a classic the, boy. So cl- he's so boy, just like big boy energy, yeah. um, which I do love. But I will say one thing that killed me is she like starts to like fall like she like starts to collapse and he holds her up yeah and like i don't know like what he like mentally was doing but that's like a lot of touching for him he's like barehanded Mm -hmm. they just held hands and now he's like literally holding her obsessed Mm -hmm. with it but of course best part she started forward then turned back to kaz Come with me, she said. Come meet them. Kaz nodded as if stealing himself, flexed his fingers once more. Wait, he said. The burn of his voice was rougher than usual. Is my tie straight? (sighs) Inej laughed, her hood falling back from her hair. That's the laugh, he murmured, but she was already setting off down the quay. It's so so beautiful because he's obsessed with her laugh and he's like, is my tie straight? Oh, dead. dead. Absolutely. Dead. It's very like teenage boy. Like it's so I was just obsessed with that this moment because it was all just so teenage boy. Like we're finally seeing his armor come down. Yes, precisely. Um, he like shows so much vulnerability in that scene. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, he's like, did I make a mistake in like bringing your parents here? And like, do I look OK? And all of this mm-hmm. stuff is just It's so wonderful, and I think it's a scene that really reflects his age, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of fun. Um, It is fun, because a lot of the times these characters are doing things that 17 and 18-year-olds don't actually do. um, I do do have to talk about the Pekka Rollins chapter. Yes, oh my god, I forgot about this. Um, There's so much to talk about in this book. I know. I literally finished Kaz's chapter and I was like, ah, Pekka, 
Do I even need to read it? Nothing's going to be better yeah. than Kaz. Yeah. And holy guacamole, I am obsessed with this idea of Inej going without anybody knowing. Yes. And just like threatening the shit out of Pekka and being like, and like she does like this is shady. Like when she goes into the children's room and like the little boy is holding a stuffed crow instead yeah. of a stuffed lion. I was like, "Damn, girl. Okay." But like the fact that she went in and did this and it's so uninej. It's just out of Inej's character, but it's so in Kaz's character mm-hmm. that it's like Oh, they're like really rubbing off on one another. That's what these last two chapters are. It's like, yeah, totally. Inej has had this impact on Kaz, but Kaz has had this impact on Inej. And you know that she did this specifically for Kaz. Like, yeah, she was like, you leave him the fuck alone. You messed him up good and we're not dealing with this shit again. So get out of town and don't come back around my man's. And I loved it. I loved seeing the side of Inej, which I didn't know that I would, but I did. It was powerful. No, yeah, I loved it too. Because it it was very her in that, like, she didn't actually hurt or kill anybody. She just threatened them so that they had a lot of fear of death. But she... And, and like you said, she's, like, pulling the Uno reverse card on Kaz. Yes. Like, you did this decent thing to for me? Well, I'm going to do this, like, kind of seedy, <laughs> sketchy thing for you that, you know, is very much in your, uh, I guess, wheelhouse. So, yeah, I was obsessed with that. And I was also obsessed with just the way that the Pekka Rollins versus Kaz storyline kind of ended because I was thinking, I don't know. I just feel like a lesser writer might've just killed Pekka Rollins, but Mm -hmm. I liked that instead of him dying, like he, Kaz literally just outsmarted him to the point that Pekka was like, you won. Like he took the L and I really liked that. Well, and I think what is also really interesting about the Pekka Rollins story is like, I don't remember the exact ages, but when Pekka essentially ruins Kaz's life, mm-hmm. like, Kaz is this little boy. Like, he's tiny. And then he turns around and ruins Pekka's life by oh. implying that his little boy is now, you know, yeah. in some kind of awful circumstance. And now it's a gangbanger from the barrel who's conning him and using, like, his son. And it's like, okay, Pekka manipulated, was like a gangbanger who manipulated a little boy, and now Kaz Mm -hmm. is a gangbanger. Is that the gangbanger? Is that right? I mean, that's the word. I don't fully know what that word means. I know, that's... uh, You run in gangs? I don't know. <laughs> I remember when that movie Spring Breakers came out. Everyone's like, it's a gangbanger movie. And I was like, what is that? Okay, mean? so I'm going to be up front. Maybe I'm using that term wrong. The point is he's a gang <laughs> boy who's yes. now manipul- like using a child to manipulate. And I think yes. that that's a really interesting um, parallel. Yeah. Yeah, no, it totally is. I didn't notice that parallel, but you're right. You're right. Kaz really 
again with the Uno reverse card. He Honestly, pulled it out. Mans knows Pekka how to Rollins. play. Yeah. Yeah, and I also feel like Pekka Rollins, in the way that Dunyasha was like quite literally Inez's shadow, Pekka Rollins was Kaz's shadow in that like that he was always his blind spot, always the person that like Kaz was most vulnerable when Pekka Rollins was involved. And so the fact that he ultimately had the comeuppance on Pekka Rollins of anyone else was just really chef's kiss. Very satisfying. Truly. Truly. Incredibly satisfying. All right. Well, funny before moments. I read all these funny quotes, did you have any final thoughts? I didn't. I we was didn't ready. For- super talk about Wyland, but he's in a lot of these funny quotes. So I feel like we'll. Well, and I will say one thing on Wyland is I really enjoyed having his POV in yes. this this book. I think his because he's coming from like such an I'm going to say like an outsider's perspective, like he is interestingly feels more like he's part of the gang than Nina and Matthias do, but like ultimately he's not a street kid. He hasn't right. you know been forced to this place of his you know against his will or anything like that like he he's coming from it from a a little bit of a different perspective he's coming to the criminal underworld from a different perspective i guess i'll say totally and so i i really appreciated when he was like looking at the rest of the group and the group dynamics and what they were doing from that sort of removed lens where he was like, this isn't normal. Mm, this isn't what yeah. regular people are doing. And everyone else was just like, this is what we do. And so I, I think he was a valuable perspective on this that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I agree. I really liked his perspective. And also we kind of got to go on this little journey with him of like, realizing that he has strengths despite you know his inability to read and like learning Mm -hmm. to play to his strengths to the to the point that his weakness doesn't really matter we love a character who learns to play to their strengths and instead of overcoming weaknesses they play to strengths i think that's so interesting to read i agree because overcoming weaknesses is predictable and also not possible I've never overcame a weakness in my entire goddamn life. So fucking true. That's (laughs) such a great point. Oh my gosh. Wow. I loved that. Speaking of overcoming weaknesses, there was actually a really good quote in here about that. Um, It was kind of going along the themes of addiction, which, you know, is a big theme in here, and fear. And it's from Nina. She says, Zoya used to say that fear is like a phoenix. You can watch it burn a thousand times and it will still return. The need for Parem felt that way too. Mm. So it's like this idea that you can watch your own weaknesses burn a thousand times and they'll still return. So true. I read that and was like, wow, so true, bestie. I was just about to say that. (laughs) Wow, I can't believe we have this same brain. Um, For funny quotes, I would just really love to give you know the moment that it deserves to <laughs> the jesper kuwait scene <laughs> because that was the funniest shit i ever read in my life i was, it was screaming it was so unpredictable i was like wait what what no, i totally I like, didn't jesper i was like jesper you dumb bitch you i was like dummy. you messed this up oh my god <laughs> because because 
Kue, like, is kind of this character who's just, like, there in the background most of the time. And this is, like, the one time he shows his personality. And I was so obsessed with it. It was so funny. So, I hope he's okay. in King of Scars. I haven't heard anything. I do, too. I know. But because he's going to Ravka, I think. And he's really important. So He is very important. But he's I just hope he like- teams up with David, with Jenya's boy. Oh, yeah. And then he's just a, start he's just such antidote. a like a like a funny little silent man because he like <laughs> silent man we love what? a silent man well it's funny because <laughs> I think they're like oh he doesn't speak the language like at all and then by the end they're like this kid is understanding like basically everything <laughs> like he yeah. definitely can knows what they're saying and all this stuff and he just is like a sneaky little asshole and I <laughs> I don't know I love him cracks me up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this this scene was so good. So this is after Jesper's like kissing Kuwe and then he's like, This kiss kinda sucks. Like this is really <laughs> lame. And then uh Wylan, still looking like Kuwe, appears in the doorway and Jesper's like shook. Jesper jabbed an accusing finger at Kuwe. You should have said something. Kuwe shrugged. <laughs> you were very brave on Black Veil, vale, since we're all probably going to die. Damn it! Jesper cursed, stalking toward the door. You're a very good kisser, called Kuei after him. Jesper turned. How good is your kirch, really? Fairly good. Okay, then I hope you understand exactly what I mean when I say you are definitely worth more trouble. No, you are definitely more trouble than you're worth. Kuei beamed, looking entirely too pleased with himself. <laughs> Kaz seems to think I'm worth a great deal now. Jesper rolled his eyes skyward. You fit right in here. <laughs> I love this little moment where he like, he fits in. He's like a... A schemy little shithead. Yes, that's exactly what he is. So funny. It was so funny. Uh, Okay, let me just read a few more funny quotes so that we can appreciate this book for the hilarious masterpiece that it was. So funny. Um, This quote I thought was great because it was funny, but it was also so true. This is a quote about Kaz and Inej. Two of the deadliest people the barrel had to offer and they could barely touch each other without both of them keeling over. I thought that was funny and also like, wow, so true. It's so true and so sad. It's really interesting to me that they like have opposite touching fears. Like, like he can't touch anyone, but like she doesn't really want to be touched. Yeah. You know, it's like. So it kind of works. They're very yin and yang in that aspect. Yeah, because they both have this like touch related trauma that. (laughs) Like, kind of fits. Like, their traumas match. Right. Yeah, their traumas match. (laughs) Oh, I hate thinking about that. Yeah, Um, sorry. I hate it. But, like, it works really, really well for them. Well, not really. Because they don't want... they. That's the problem. Is it's not that they, like... They want to be able to touch. It's just that their trauma prevents them. uh, Yeah. I guess it's just... It actively doesn't work. If they were... Like, if Kaz... Like, Kaz couldn't match up with Nina, for example. Because she doesn't have any of that kind of trauma so like it just simply would not work (laughs) for so So, many reasons yeah for a lot of other reasons speaking of nina she has some some really good funny quotes in here um my favorite one was when they were discussing the name of the the bridge good maiden bridge um so uh matthias asks why it's called that and 
Nina leaned against the doorway and said, well, the story is that when a woman found out her husband had fallen in love with a girl from West Dave and planned to leave her, she came to the bridge and rather than live without him, hurled herself into the canal. Over a man with so little honor? You'd never be tempted? All the fruits and flesh of West Dave before you? Would you throw yourself off a bridge for a man who was? I wouldn't throw myself off a bridge for the king of Ravka. It's a terrible story, said Matthias. I doubt it's true. It's just what happens when you let men name the bridges. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Uh, they just like her explaining things to Matthias or like people in general explaining things to him. A riot. Because it <laughs> so always funny. ends on this like batshit note where you're like, oh my God, what? It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Poor Matthias. I will say. was so clueless. One of, uh, one quote that i uh really enjoy because like jesper and wyland have some real good ones they're so funny and i really enjoy the one that you wrote down where they're discussing the Kurgood soldiers uh-huh. and it says matthias joined them at the table the shoe woman we faced was stronger than me jesper and wyland put together you heard that right said jesper stronger than wyland <laughs> dying <laughs> so so funny. funny wow and the other jesper quote i had pulled this so funny was when they're with alice which was hilarious by the way she's oh just like God. singing and crying the whole time <laughs> what, a, a, what a lady well and like how like even kaz was like we need to be nice to her and just like take care of her <laughs> and give her what she wants so that she shuts up because She's driving me insane. And I just love that she, like, broke all of them because she, she did. was so annoying. Uh, I know. I was so obsessed funny. with that. So they're trying to calm her. And, and this happens. So, Jesper said, throwing an arm around Alice's shoulder, tell us about your stepson. Why? Alice asked. Are you going to kidnap him, too? Jesper scoffed. I doubt it. I hear he's 12 kinds of trouble to keep around. Wyland crossed his arms. I hear he's talented and misunderstood. <laughs> it's the misunderstood that gets me. So funny. He's so funny. I'm obsessed. Oh, one more quote. This is Nina talking to Kaz. Everything is in negotiation with you, Brecker. You probably bartered your way out of the womb. I loved that quote. I was like, wow, so true. The, the word womb is ick to me, so. Oh, so it just... It kind of ruins the whole thing for you. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay. Takes you out of it. Um, These were some really great quotes. Great discussion. Uh, Final scores for Crooked I Shit. Okay, I'm torn because on the one hand, like if I don't give this book a 10, I don't, nothing's ever going to get a 10. But on the other hand, like I did have a, a couple of very small critiques regarding two of the central characters. So... Maybe I need to give it a 9.5. Wow. Um, I am giving... <laughs> I don't know why I was so shocked by that. Yeah, I know. Um, I was like, aren't you going to do the same thing? <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go as low as a 9.5, but I, I'm going to give it a 9.8. Okay. Okay. We're going tenths. Okay. Yeah. I was going tenths personally. <laughs> it's The problem is... I'm not ever going to be rating something like a 3.8. So I, 
I, I in my own head for personal all right. reasons. All right. I can't go You're into right. tense. Okay, so let's not go into tense. Let's, let's get super specific here. <laughs> it's um, important. It, it is important. We can go halvesies, but we can't go tense. So I think you are correct. I agree. I'm going to give it a 9.5. Um, I think reading this book is a 10 experience. Yep. Analyzing this book, there's a few things where there's maybe – some stuff that was a little bit more plot servy and didn't just didn't hit home because of that. Mm-hmm. But once again, very minor. My enjoyment level ten, but my yeah. my rating, I'm giving it a nine point five. Agreed, agreed. But like a nine point five on Goodreads is five stars. So like this yeah. is a five star read for yes. sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, yes. for real. No cap on God. And with that. <laughs> And with that, I bid you adieu. <laughs> you can catch us next time in which we will be talking about the Shadow and Bone show, which I'm Ooh. so excited to talk about. So, yeah, come back for that. We're probably going to go off. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at the Great Obsession Pod. Send us all your thoughts, T-H-O-T-S. You can also send us your thoughts on uh, our email, which is thegreatobsessionpod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and quote you on the podcast if you say something extremely, incredibly profound. And that's all I have to say about that. Bye. Bye. <laughs>